right, hey, good to, uh, good to see you. Do take your Bibles. If you don't have them already, go to Deuteronomy. That's the fifth book in your Bible. Go to the first book, Genesis, take a right, and uh, we will be there in the 18th chapter here in uh, just a few minutes. Want to, again, say hello to the Hendersonville campus, the Franklin campus, East campus, and uh, West folks. Uh, in about two months, you will have a uh, brand new location. So be patient. Thanks for going to other places. Went by there, actually was by there yesterday. It's looking amazing. And uh, the rest of you all pray. We've got a couple, not only Brevard, but West will be uh, opening kind of end of uh, end of January, first uh, of February uh, right now. Uh, because of COVID, there's some stuff that is stuck in China, some audio parts. So you pray that that get here uh, sooner rather than later. All right. Uh, let me give you a couple of housekeeping things. First of all, we are as uh, was mentioned earlier, we're starting a, not just a series, but a season called Advent. And I'll explain what that is in a few minutes, but there's two things I want you to kind of jot down is number one, man, just be a part of this. And one of the easiest ways to be blessed by uh, this next month is to get the evening devotionals that our staff team have put together. They're awesome. No matter if you're a family of one or a family of 10, no matter if you're old or young, somewhere in between, uh, just text the word Advent to 28282 and you get, I think it's it's like in the evening, I think it's either 4.30 or 5.30, 6 o'clock, something like that. You will get the devotional and you can have them around the table. You can have them by yourself before you go to bed, whatever it is. Uh, that would be the first thing. You will be blessed. I promise they're extremely well done. Uh, we, and my family, we're using them as well. Secondly, part of Advent is not just celebration. It's and not just anticipation about the fact Jesus is going to come again, but it's also living in the tension that right now we are to be on mission. And that's something we want to try to do here 12 months a year. Uh, December is kind of, it piles up a little bit. There's actually three specific things we want to do to bless um, our cities and our communities. All right, one of them is there's a ministry uh, to uh, folks that are in, in our prisons around the area. Secondly, there are 2,200 families with food, in, food insecurity in our four counties that we are going to bless. And then thirdly, one we've done for a long time is Operation Christmas Child. And you can play a part. You're like, I didn't even pick down the first one. Here's the easiest way to do that. Jot down there at some point, just go to the website and then backslash serve 828. All right, here's the, here's the deal. At some point, you know, Christmas is a ton about, I can't wait till you see what I get. Uh, but as we all know, it is so awesome to see when we give to somebody else that just the way the, it, it blesses us as much as it blesses them. So you guys, we continually uh, want to declare the gospel, but we always talk about we want to demonstrate the gospel as well. So here's where we are. I, I don't know what, how you grew up. We grew up, I didn't grow up as a, as a Christian home, but we grew up in a Christmas home, all right? So we didn't grow up going to church very much and we definitely didn't grow up reading our Bible, but man, when it was Christmas time, uh, we were all in. Now here's some rules that the Frank family lived by when I was growing up, right? Don't kill, uh, don't steal, and don't decorate the house until after Thanksgiving is over. Those are like the main rules, right? Because it's like Thanksgiving needs to have its own time and space. But once Thanksgiving was over, man, it was like all systems go toward Christmas, all right? So I've passed that down to my family. And so we, we are like, you know, I don't, if you, if you decorate before 
Thanksgiving for Christmas, that's, that's fine, man. God loves you. God loves you. All right. We got counseling for you, but that's just weird. I don't understand why you would do that the whole time. But once Thanksgiving is over, we went all in. Friday after Thanksgiving, we go out to Waynesville and we cut down that tree, throw it in the back of the pickup. It gets decorated before the weekend is over. Man, my wife even got two of these white squirrel ornaments from Brevard. They're hanging right there. German Shepherd's looking at that like, man, that would taste good. And so like, please don't eat the tree. Don't eat the tree. But we're doing, we got pillow, Christmas themed pillows, uh, blankets, stuff on the coffee table. Uh, we got, we're drinking wassail. I don't even know what wassail is, all right? But we're drinking wassail this time of year. You look on my playlist, I got Christmas carols. That never, ever happens the other 11 months of the year. But Christmas carols on my radio, I've got it to the Christmas radio station. So hear me on this. We are all in. I'm not that preacher that's like anti-Christmas and it's a pagan holiday and all that. I'm not that guy. But what I do know is this, especially here in the Western world, man, there is not a holiday around that overpromises like Christmas does. There is not a holiday in our Western world that pushes so much propaganda in the next month and year after year we do buy into it. I mean, every special we see, every commercial you see, all right, everything that we see for the next 20 days or so is all about the message that this year it's gonna be different. This year it's gonna be awesome. Somebody's going to Jared this year, okay? We're all gonna get a Lexus this year. It's gonna happen, all right? The family's gonna get along, all right? The in-laws are gonna be nice, all right? The kids are gonna be grateful for the presents we actually give them. And they're like, oh, Father, this is exactly what I want. And even five hours after that, they're still grateful. And then what happens? Then we get what sociologists actually call the Christmas blues. And what that is, is that's an unrealized expectation to say, you know what? I thought this would be it. And then the day after Christmas is like, man, what happened? It's gone. And so what Advent is designed to do and in the history of the church, what Advent has been designed to do is to anchor our hope in something that's going to be, way, give us that joy and hope way after the tree is on the curb, way after the cards are thrown away, way after that happens. How do we then have that hope that what Christmas is actually all about? So um, here's the deal. You're like, what? I don't even know what Advent means. Advent basically means arrival or uh, coming. So it's a Latin word, Adventus, the down to history. What it was, it was this. It was a looking back at the first arrival of Jesus, all right? All right, eight pounds, six ounce Jesus in the manger. That's what we tend to think about. That's, that's the first coming. And so we do look back and we celebrate that. But Advent also, and this is the one that's kind of been neglected, it also looks forward to the second coming of Jesus when our King returns and makes everything new and makes everything right. And so what we're going to try to do over the next uh, four weeks or so as a church is do both, kind of like ping pong or tennis, is kind of go back and forth, back and forth. And the idea is for you or you and your kids or you and whoever it is that you share life with, that you and I would be stirred up to the wonderment that actually is what we're celebrating at the end of this month, okay? And so uh, I say this one thing and we'll jump into the text. A few weeks ago, we made the comment that in some ways the Old Testament is like a sonogram uh, during a pregnancy. The Old Testament, like a sonogram, a sonogram as the months go by, it's the pictures get clear and the details get, get clear as well. It's like, look there, they're the fingers, they're the toes, look at the heartbeat, look at the lungs develop, all that stuff 
And then the birth of the baby, all right? In some ways, the Old Testament is like that. As you go on, what you see is you see in shadow or in form or in prophecy or in picture, what you see is you see pictures, prophecies uh, toward saying, you know what? There is coming, there is coming, there is coming a rescuer. Every single book of the Bible ultimately is about Jesus. So some of us, we try to think of what is our, how do I understand the Bible? How do I understand this thing? A lot of times, if we just don't understand what's called a, a hermeneutic, a hermeneutic is how do I interpret and understand the Bible? One of the main hermeneutics you do need to kind of set in place is that somewhere on every page is a picture or a prophecy or something that's saying, you know what? A Messiah is coming. Old Testament, a Messiah is coming. New Testament, Messiah has come. Last book of the Bible, Messiah is coming back. That's basically the way the Bible is outlined. So you look in the book of Genesis and it's like Jesus, what? He is the word of, he's, he's, the, he's the creator God that speaks the world into being. In Exodus, what is he? He is the, he's the one that sets us free. You go a little bit further, Leviticus, what is he? He's the Passover lamb. You know, in Numbers, he's the one that guides the people with a pillar of fire, you know, by uh, night and a cloud by day. And then what we're going to see today is in Deuteronomy, which I know is an unfamiliar book. Deuteronomy is actually, you're going to see that he is actually, not full confession, in 30 years of preaching, I have never, ever, not only not preached this text, I've never even sat or noticed this text at all. And so two weeks ago, I'm kind of playing, I was like, man, look at that. And what happens is Moses, towering figure in the Old Testament says, you know what? As big as I am, I'm not big enough. There's one that is coming after me. There's one that is better than me. There's one that's bigger than me. And he will do for you what I could never do for you. So really, that's, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at this, and I want to give you two bookends. I'm just going to call them Bible bookends. And these two things will come into play every time you crack open this book, and it'll help you understand it a ton better. All right? So quick, uh, you know, 30-second synopsis on just g in general, the book of Deuteronomy, it's called, the way we get our name from that is second law giving. So you see the law given like in Exodus chapter 20, and you see the law, the ten, think Ten Commandments, those are given. But then in Deuteronomy, it's kind of like Moses' farewell sermons to the people of Israel before he dies. And he gives the law over again, he gives laws, et cetera, et cetera. But right here in the middle, he is saying, he's giving a shadow to say, guess what? There is somebody coming after me and he is so much bigger, so much more awesome. And he surprised the people. Now, uh, one last thing. Some of you, depending on your age, when you think of Moses, you think of Charlton Heston. Others of you, if you're younger, you think of Christian Bale. Either way, Moses is the guy brought the people out of Egypt, the one that the Red Sea split, he led them through. One that went up on a mountain, got the 10 commandments. I mean, this is the guy. And he surprises the people by saying this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And we're gonna come back to that, like me. And there are some ways that Jesus and Moses are alike. There are, you know, uh, they were both from, you know, they were both Jews, all right, um, both male. You, you see these things, they're like, but they're like, and he's not like him at all. For a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Now here in a week or two, we're gonna go over like, how do I listen to God? How do I listen to God? When it's like, he's a wonderful counselor. Well, how do I get counsel by God? We're gonna look at that at a different time. But it says, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, think Mount Sinai, think, think uh, 10 commandments, all right? Your, Lord, your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, and this is when they're like super scared of God. Some of you are like that today. 
You're like super scared of God. He's like, you, you have a high understanding of the holiness of God, a low understanding of the mercy of God. To be honest, some of us have the, the other way around. You have a high understanding of the mercy of God and a low understanding of the justice and the holiness of God. And here what they were saying is, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. We'll circle back to that. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. And verse 18 basically repeats verse 15. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And this, this verse right here is very similar to what Jesus says in John 12. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now again, I know that's kind of like, where are you getting some stuff for my marriage in that? Understand, here's what you're gonna see. Even as we walk through this, you're gonna see a lot of the big questions we ask is like, man, what's the deal with all the commandments? Or what about when I break them? Okay, or what about when I open up my Bible and I'm reading some crazy stuff in Leviticus about some fabric? How is that about where I live right now in Western North Carolina? Well, we're gonna look at again is two uh, bookends, all right? Here's, a, here's an easy way I'm gonna come back to at the end. Uh, some of y'all have noticed this picture right here or something similar to this, all right? This is actually, I think it's called an auto stereogram. Basically, it's like the magic eye. And, and, and again, full confection. Early in marriage, my wife and I would uh, see this, even dating, she would, these were kind of like, they were all the rage, you know, back, way back, you know, back when you had hieroglyphics and all that stuff. So this was the rage. And what this is, is there's a picture in there, all right? So what they, they'd have this stuff that looks chaotic and it looks unattached. And it's like, somebody just like threw paint on there, but, and I'll tell you how to do it in a few minutes, is actually inside all of that chaos, there is a picture and different ones have different pictures. Some have like a horse or a parrot or, you know, a farm or what. And my wife was awesome at seeing this. I look at it and go, you know, you have to hold a leg up, hand up. What do you have to do to do that? And she's like, oh, look at the shark. Look at that beautiful shark. I'm like, shark. And then we go to another one and she's like, look at the farm scene. Aren't those animals beautiful? And I'm like, what are you smoking girl? Cause I'm seeing nothing at all. So I say that to say this, like Moses in some ways, and he's not, I want you to be able to say, okay, when I look at the Bible, sometimes it looks chaotic and disconnected and I'm not sure how it all works together. What I want you to be able to say is, okay, I can see, I can, I can back away and I can see a picture because there's a couple of bookends I want you to use. All right, bookend number one, okay? Somewhere in the book of Deuteronomy, it also says that you will be more blessed if you actually take notes in church. So here's the first one I would say is awesome. And that is Jesus is both the lawgiver, but he's also the law keeper. He's the law giver. He does give the law. Jesus saves the law. Moses gives the 10 commandments. Jesus's form of that was basically the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew and some of the other gospels. But he's the law giver and he's the law keeper. What I want you to understand is Moses is prophesying to the people, I'm not the final one. I'm not the final prophet. All of this stuff we're looking at is actually pointing to somebody bigger and better. I can deliver you from the Egyptians, but it's really God. I can take you through the Red Sea, that's really God. I'm not big enough. There's coming a time when a prophet will do for you what I couldn't do for you. And he couldn't do a lot of stuff. Just a quick little synopsis. Not only could he not empower the people to obey the law, I mean, think about it. If you just uh, sometime read Exodus 32, before, before the Stone is even dry from God writing down the 10 commandments on a tablet. The people down at the bottom of the mountain get impatient that Moses is late 
And they basically take their gold, throw it in the fire, start doing actually pagan sex acts and worshiping a false God before the 10 commandments even got down the mountain. So he obviously couldn't empower them to obey the 10 commandments. Moses himself was not a perfect man. God said, hey, go give them water, speak to the rock, water will come out and you can then quench the thirst of the people. He gets so ticked off at the people. It's like, you fools, you idolaters. And he gets mad at him, takes a stick, boom, he whacks, the, he whacks the rock. God actually said that, you know what? That's a sign of doubt and unfaithfulness. And he actually didn't get to go to the promised land. So what Moses couldn't do, he's saying, you know what? What's coming after me, who's coming after me, will be able to do it. Now, if you're new to church, let me take one little rabbit chase. Because here's when people, and you hear this all the time. You'll hear it probably during the Christmas season. You've seen it on talk shows, and we've talked about it before, where it's like, okay, Christians are so inconsistent, all right? You cherry pick verses, and you know, a Bill Maher or whoever's like, oh, you say over here, you know, the Bible says uh, you shouldn't wear a certain type of fabric, and then over here, you talk about uh, love your neighbor, and you only do one and you don't do the other one. You guys are inconsistent. It's actually not inconsistent at all. It's just understanding what the law was for helps you to put all those things together. So let me give you two quick ways that the, what, what the law was given for. The first one is a restrainer. It's a restrainer. Think of it like a guardrail. I think I've used that before, guardrail. It's like if you have a guardrail on a highway, it's trying to help you not to put the car in the ditch. And so when God's word warns us, hey, if you do this, there are gonna be some consequences. If you swerve over here, can you do it? You can do it, but you've gotta to have to go through the warnings and the consequences to put the car in the ditch. And by the way, after you come to Jesus, then the law is used a little bit differently. It shows you, okay, how can I live a life for the glory of God and the good of others that helps my life flourish? But here's the second way. Second thing, and kind of the main way, is as a reflector, as a mirror. So when you and I look at the Bible, or look at the law particularly, when I say law again, let me be clear. For our conversation, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Every religion, though, has a law. A law basically says, do these four steps, do these five things, do these seven things, go here, say this prayer, and you'll be acceptable to God. When I'm using, I'm talking about the 10 commandments, just, just that. Now there's about 613 laws in the Old Testament. Let's just take the big 10 and ask the question, you know, how are we doing with those? And I would venture to say that I will just put this out there, whether you believe it or not, we're all O for 10. O for 10. And what the law does is shine that, remember that funny light uh, that shows all the germs that you can't see with the naked eye? Remember those? I mean, they were, again, those were big a while back. I think Oprah had a show on them and, and ABC News. And they went into these hotels, some were like $30 a night, cheap hotels. And other ones were like four-star hotels where they got this light and they'd shine it on the carpet. Oh, it's just nasty. And it had already been clean, but it would show these germs that were invisible to the naked eye. And you're like, no way. I don't want to really gross you out. I don't want to torpedo the hotel industry for you. But then they would show the bedspread. Girl, man, no, you will never, you will, you will like rip the bedspread off next time you go there. Because what it did is it showed all this stuff that you and I would initially look at and go, man, there's nothing wrong with that. But you put that blue light thingy on there and all of a sudden it is just super visible. That's what the Bible does. That's what the commands do. The commands say, you know what? I'm saying here's the standard and the Ten Commandments are kind of the starting point. Have you ever asked yourself, how do I measure up just to the big 10? Again, we've done this before, but let me just take two or three. Let's just take like commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. That's like number one. 
Can you honestly sit in church and say, you know what? All of my life, I've loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what? My affections, my number one affection is for the Lord. I love him intellectually. I love him physically. That is the number one. Nothing else has the passion ever in my life. No romance, no business deal, no football team. Nothing stirs within me the affection that God Almighty does every time, 24-7. And by the way, this is a pass-fail test. In the past, you got to make 100%. No, we wouldn't. Why don't you go down some? Uh, I think it's number seven. It says that you will not commit adultery. And Jesus kind of messed that up because some of you are like, well, maybe, maybe I'll pass it. Jesus messes it up. And he says, you know what? If you have even looked at a person with lustful eyes that is not your spouse, you've already, you have already uh, committed adultery in your heart. So again, we're not gonna have a show of hands, but can you actually sit in church and go, there has never been a time Never been a time when I've even had a passing thought, lustful thought for somebody who is not my spouse, okay? The liar section is right over there, all right? Number eight, for example, okay? Come on now, really? All right, um, how about this one? Number eight, you shall not steal. Can you say, I have never, ever taken anything that doesn't belong to me. I've never taken credit for what somebody else did. I've never fudged my numbers to make a sale. I've never done any of that at all. Here's the reason that that's super important for our text today. If we all fail in that, and actually, if you don't believe that Romans 3, the New Testament says, no one will be declared righteous by the law. Nobody. Not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, certainly not us. Nobody will be declared righteous, justified by the law. You got to understand the purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to save us, it's not to declare us righteous. The purpose of it was a diagnosis. It was to diagnose what was wrong. Think about it this way. Uh, I know we have varying degrees of what is hot and cold in a room or in your house. And if you're married, that's like one of the key, you know, loud discussions that you might have and what's cold and what's hot. But when it comes to the law, you gotta understand The law is simply a thermometer. That's all it does. That's all it does. It's just a thermometer. The law simply says, here's the temperature of your heart. You got to have something to empower it. It's not a thermostat that can actually change the condition of your heart. That's not what it was designed to do. A lot of times we talk about the laws like railroad tracks. The railroad tracks are awesome and they can give us direction, but it's not the engine unless you got some power that will empower that thing to go down the right direction, it's useless. It's just gonna sit there on the tracks. And so let me, uh, let me kind of put it with Moses. Like Moses, Jesus did give the law, but he told people you can never keep the law. And because you can never keep this law, I'll keep it for you, and then I will suffer the penalty for you not keeping it. And then when I save you, I will change your heart where at minimum, you at least want to try to keep it. And so if you get this, you get, you get free from two things. On one hand, you get free from what we've called before. We've called uh, the performance trap. Performance trap is thinking, you know what? Uh, God really loves me on my good days. And I was good. I helped a little lady cross the street. I put a dollar in at the church and, you know, I read my Bible and I was good and fall asleep in the sermon. God loves me. But on my bad days, God gets really, really, really frustrated with me. 
What you have to hear what we've said a hundred times before is if you're in Christ through repentance and faith in Jesus, okay, then Jesus satisfied the justice of God when he died on the tree for you. And if God is satisfied with Jesus and you are in Jesus, then God cannot be dissatisfied with you. I mean, that's just, that's, you talk about free. Some of you guys grew up and you grew up in like a super moralistic kind of preaching. And it's like, hey, obey these four things and you're gonna be highly favored. I'm not saying that God doesn't say, you know what, here's the way to flourishing. But that is bondage, because here's what happens. If you think that's the way that God judges you, one of two ditches you're gonna fall into. On one hand, if you're doing bad, you're gonna fall into this, all this guilt and despair, because you're like, man, I have failed so bad, and I can't keep any of them. On the other hand, if you think you're doing good, and church people can fall into this ditch as well, if you think your acceptance before Almighty God is based on your behavior modification, then you get over here in this other ditch, and you're like, I've done pretty good. And that leads to arrogance and self-righteousness and holding up the placards that God hates and you fill in the blank. Not understanding it wasn't anything you did, it was a gift of Almighty God. The second thing it'll free you from is pretending. Man, we're good at this, church people. We're good at the pretending. How you doing? You walk into church today, how you doing? Oh, blessed and highly favored, brother, how about you? Well, it doesn't look like you're blessed and highly favored. When I look at your Facebook page, it looks like your house is burning down and you're throwing gas on it. That's kind of what it looks like. But if you understand, you know what? It's not about what I've done, it's about what Jesus has done and am I in him? Because if you understand that, law-keeping righteousness says, law-keeping righteousness says, I got this. The gospel says, you ain't got this. You ain't got this. So I know a question that comes up a lot is, well, how does God, why don't God just forgive everybody? Because he's loving and why don't he just forgive? Why don't he just, you know, he's forgiven. Why don't he just forgive people? Simple answer to that question is because God's also just. God is also holy. In verse 16, that's what, the, that's what he's reflecting back on. That's what those Jewish people knew that we sometimes, especially here in Americanized cultural Christianity, we sometimes forget that he cannot reduce his law because they are indicative of God's character. For God to overlook our sin would mean that he is unjust. The same way, let's say somebody hurts your family or a family member. Somebody hurts a family member of yours, and then you go to their trial and then that judge is like, ah, go free. You'd be fired up. That's an unjust judge. Somebody needs to pay for what that guy did. And so what the gospel does, it comes in and says, you know what? Uh, There's gotta be somebody beyond me, meaning Moses, beyond me, that's gonna do for you what I could not do for you. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take about a five minute deep dive, all right? Put your big boy theology pants on for just a second. Let's take a deep dive. And if you can just get this, a lot of the Old Testament's gonna make sense. You got it? So you're like, how does God forgive sin? And if we've all sinned, and how did that work in the Old Testament? How did all that work? So a lot of this first part of your Bible, the backdrop is, is the Hebrew or the Jewish sacrificial system. I'm talking about a lot of animals got killed. Some of you hunters, you know how bloody it gets when you like skin a deer? I got a coyote the other day. It was getting too close to the house. (laughs) Some of you are like, I don't like you anymore. I'm just telling you, it gets bloody, all right? If you are like a coyote sympathizer, 
bro, this isn't the right church for you, okay? I'm just telling you, if it, it, we don't like coyotes here, all right? We just don't. And um, sorry, but sidebar. But so here, here's, here's, what, here's what's happening. So in the Old Testament, the place where they would meet with God, the place that represented the presence of God was called, it was called the temple. So what would happen is the people would gather each year, get, they'd gather together, and then, about, and then once a year, they would confess their sins, and then the priest, Bible says Jesus is our priest, he is our high priest, they would confess their sins and the priest would then transfer symbolically their sins to what was called the scapegoat. That's where we get it from, the scapegoat. It's like, okay, symbolically we're taking the sins of the people for the last year, we're putting them on this scapegoat and then they'd make the scapegoat leave town. And symbolically what that was saying is our sins are leaving us. Then he would take a, a unblemished lamb and he would then cut the throat of the lamb. And here's what you, just stay with me on this one. He would take, he would take that perfect lamb, he would go inside a room, kind of within a room, within a room, called the Holy of Holies. And in that Holy of Holies, there's a deal called the Ark of the Covenant. Like, think Raiders of the Lost Ark, all right? So just like Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the, in the Ark of the Covenant is the cop, is the 10 Commandments. And since we've broken all the 10 Commandments, what he would do is that he would sprinkle the blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The reason that's important, the top of it, a lot of times it's translated mercy seat. In Hebrew, it's called the hysterion. In Greek, it's propitiation. Propitiation means God is satisfied with what, because here's what happens. Fast forward, John the Baptist comes on the scene and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, in the same way that year after 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 year, he says, listen, there is the Lamb of God, not a Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who will die once and for all. And so you gotta understand, Jesus fulfills all of that stuff being the Lamb of God. And so where it comes down to you and to me, uh, Luther put it this way. He said, all the prophets foresaw that on the cross, Jesus became the greatest murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, blasphemer that there ever was. He goes on and he says, he goes, our merciful father sent his only son into the world and said to him, Jesus, you will become Peter the denier, Paul the persecutor, David the adulterer, Adam the sinner, who did eat the apple in paradise. And you and I could just kind of keep going. You will become the husband who has neglected his family. You will become the immoral woman who has wrecked somebody else's marriage. You will become the drug addict. You will become the teenage boy who lies to his parents. You will become the hypocrite who walks into church living a double life. You will become you're the proud, the selfish, the apathetic. You will become those people and then die in their place. And he would die for what we've broken so that we could then be innocent of them. That's what... We celebrate, all right? And um, as we, as we kind of look at it, I, you're, like, you're like, what difference does that make? The difference that it makes is, again, uh, if you see God as somebody you gotta perform in order for him to accept you, you will either get in despair or you'll get in arrogance. If you and I as a church, if we see, you know what? It's what God gave us in the gospel that will create in us humility, that will create in us generosity, 
that will create in us even a boldness that, you know what? I don't have to perform or pretend for God. He knows me and still loves me. And I'd love to tell you about him. And so the first marker, and I'm gonna do it quicker on the second. First marker is he's not just a lawgiver, he's a law keeper. And then quickly, the second one will be this. Is he's, he is a messenger, but he's also the message. If, if anything, I could say, get this and you'll understand your Bible a lot better. He is the messenger. There's stuff he says. He's also the message. Verse 18, he says, I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. Here's what Jesus said. I've not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So again, quickly review. Does God speak? You're like, do I take the job in Scranton? Do I, what? We're going to talk about that at a different time, but God does speak subjectively through circumstances, subjectively to some degree through people, which is actually kind of the context here. The whole context of Deuteronomy 18 is, can you believe a prophet? We don't have a prophet in the Old Testament since now. We don't have that gift. All right. Nobody's speak. We got the Bible. So nobody's like speaking the future. Okay. But do understand there are 322 Old Testament prophecies that got fulfilled in Jesus. 322, not vague stuff that you see people prophesy now. It's like, I believe that there's a man that's gonna be born and he's gonna live a dangerous life and then he's gonna die. Well, who else? I mean, that's anybody. Specific ones, where he's gonna be born, how he's gonna die. What are they gonna do while he's dying? How much money is gonna be charged to turn him over? What are they actually gonna do with the money that those that turned him over? But it says, listen to him. A few weeks ago, we talked about the here model. If you weren't here, man, please get that. It's how do you listen to God? We're gonna kind of unpack that again in a couple of weeks. H is highlight, E is examine. I gotta examine and ask some questions. But the last two, A is apply and R is respond. And here's what I wanna lay before you before we kind of just take a little challenge of ourselves, a little Advent challenge. If God does not offend you at times, then you're reading your Bible wrong. If there's some times when you don't go, man, that is hard. And that offends me. Because see, here's what happens. And it's really notorious at Christmas time. Is we all have a propensity to pick the parts of what Jesus said and sit in those and then kind of not get embarrassed, but kind of ignore some of the other parts and jettison those. We like what Jesus says here and we don't like what Jesus says there. And here's the part. Most people, particularly in our culture, we like Christmas Jesus best, right? Well, we like Christmas Jesus best. We like eight pounds, six ounce Jesus best. Or as the movie would quote, you know, I like, I like Jesus all snugly and cuddly and yet omnipotent at the same time. And he's got the golden fleece wings. And the other guy in the movie, some of y'all know the movie I'm quoting. I'm not going to endorse it. I'm just saying it is funny. And he's like, the other guy's like, oh, I like to think of Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. You know, he's formal and yet ready to party. And the bottom line is it really doesn't matter what we like to think of Jesus as. What really matters is who Jesus is and who Jesus has revealed himself to be. And just understand every culture gets offended by what Jesus said. It's just different stuff. In our culture, people get offended when the Bible says uh, God will judge sin and sex is to be between uh, a married man and woman and that offends our culture. You go to a different culture, like a Muslim culture, 
That doesn't offend them at all. You know what offends them? What offends them is a God who would actually die and pay the price for the sinners and the adulterers. That's what they're offended by. And so understand, if you're never offended by the Bible, you're reading it wrong or not reading it. And so here's what we want to do. Uh, it's not just when you read the Bible, it's, it's, he's the message of the Bible, like I said at the start. Every single place. Now, is there stuff in here about your marriage and money and mothering and every other M I could think of? Yeah, there's all that stuff. That's why we preach it and teach it every, every time. You know, how do you love your wife? Or you know, how do you manage your money? Or how do you parent your kid? Oh, there's all that stuff in there. But the bottom line is, if I can understand the big meta narrative, and the problem is this, and here's what's happened in churches, and I'll just, I'll end with this. Tend to, and we've all, I think we've close to eliminated this. And if you're a parent, by the way, one of the best you, gifts you can give your kid already, if you hadn't given it to them, is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Jesus Storybook Bible, you need to get that. You, do not, you don't need to pass go. It doesn't cost you $200. You just need to get the Jesus Storybook Bible to use with your kids because it does a great job of getting away from what we have tended to do in years past. And that is basically lift up the characters in the Bible as heroes. You know how it is, and we've talked about this at length. You know, be brave like Daniel, uh, believe like Abraham, be a leader like Nehemiah. And there are some things you want to take from those characters. <laughs> you don't want to tell little Scooter he needs to be just like Nehemiah. You don't want to tell him just like David. You know, Abraham had a big propensity to lie anytime the pressure got up, right? David, yeah, he wrote some beautiful songs, and yeah, he's awesome and all that stuff. He's also an adulterer, all right, cheated on his wives, killed the husband. It's not, it's like, don't do that, Skippy, okay? Don't do that. I mean, even Nehemiah, I don't know if you even know Nehemiah, but Nehemiah was a great leader. There's a lot of great stuff. But you don't want to, for example, at the end of his ministry, you know what he did? I mean, he went like MMA on the leaders, started pulling out their beards, stripped them naked, and said, get out. I mean, you really don't want him doing that at school, all right? So the idea is there's only one hero. They're pointing towards something better, someone bigger. It's not all about them. So here's, here's I'll give you one clue and then we're done. Put that, uh, remember that deal I put up at the front and I, I was joking, it's like, man, man, my wife can see those like, oh yeah, that's awesome. But I learned what you do to actually get the picture. And some of y'all might not ever get the picture, but bottom line is here's, what, here's the trick. Because right now I don't even know what that looks like. It looks like a bunch of crazy birds and Jungle scene, I don't even know what that is, but what you do is they say if you'll get like really close and like put your nose on the picture, which if you're in a museum, don't do that, but I'm saying you, you put your nose like right here and then little by little, you kind of back out. And like even right now, it's kind of freaky. You do it right now, like right here, chaos, chaos. But then as you slowly back out, slowly back out, slowly back out, slowly back out, then you start to see that picture within the picture. And so when you look at your Bible, don't make the mistake of like, all I can see right here is Daniel and he's in, in the lion's den. You know, that's great, awesome, see that. And it's good to see that. But also take a step back and see the big, big story. Because the whole story, the whole story, the story, the arc from start to finish finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So I got two challenges. Challenge number one, you're a Christian. You, are, you and I still have a tendency during the Christmas season to get sucked downstream into all this false hope. So right now, don't even close your eyes, don't bow your heads, just, all right? Eyes open, heads up, okay? If you're like, you know what? I'm gonna at least, in my heart of hearts, pray and say, God, I want this Advent season 
to be a time when I look back on December 26th that that has been one of the most profound seasons of growth that I've ever had with you. Whether that be reigniting the fire, whether that be something in your family. Okay, so whatever campus you're at, if, you can just, if you're a Christian, you're like, I want that to happen. Just as a testimony to God and an encouragement to others, whether you're at Franklin or Hendersonville or East, just put your hand up and say, just, just you know, I, I'm, by putting my hand up, I'm saying, come on, Christians, are you serious? Okay, thank you. I was like, we got this section over here and they're like, I want this Christmas to be the most shallow uh, lack of spiritual adventure. Come on. Uh, okay, so it's gonna take a, right now, keep your hands up because when your hands are up, what that means is right now, some of you are like, it's starting to get sore. You know why? Because it's gonna take a little bit of discipline, a little bit of discipline to say, this Christmas, man, minimum, I just want to spend time with God and I want December 26th to look back and say, when I'm fired up. All right, you can put them down because I'm getting tired too. So secondly, secondly, if you're not a believer and you like came to church and you're, the first time you've like, man, I thought it was all about this just behavior modification and you didn't understand, bro, that you are, you are in some ways hopeless when it comes to you trying to impress God by your resume. But what I hope you've heard today is today, you can look back and say that there is a savior that lived the life I was supposed to live and then died in my place. And if I will repent and embrace him by faith, spot on right now, your story would be, that's the day when things changed. I embraced Christ by faith. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes. Just right now in your heart of hearts, say, you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, I believe that counted for me. And I'm asking him to be the boss of my life. I'm not the boss of my life. He's the boss of my life. We'd love to know how to do it, but let me pray for you. Father, thanks for the men and women that are at, uh, at church today. And uh, next three or four weeks, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on and a whole bunch of families. For some of us, this is uh, just an awesome time, refreshing time. For a lot of us, especially as we kind of come to the end of a difficult year, just in the life of our country, in the life in many ways of the world, God, I pray that this season, these next three or four weeks, there will be a time where you prepare us for the harvest that is to come. God, I pray for marriages that are floundering. I pray for spiritual apathy that has taken place that you would jar us out of those. God, I pray those devotionals that folks spent so much time putting together would be utilized not by the hundreds, but by the thousands and thousands. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are at uh, whatever campus they're at. I pray so much that these next few weeks will be a time of personal revival for them. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.